Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your grace and the opportunity to know you. Thank you for the gift of music and the ability to sing and to worship you and now to look at your word. I pray that you would be glorified as we look at it together and that you would speak as only you could speak. That you would magnify your name, the name of Jesus Christ. We pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. Question. How many of you have ever found yourself in a bind? You ever been there? Maybe it was at work. Could have been at school. Might have been in your family. But probably, sooner or later, we all find ourselves in a bind. Maybe you're a student. And you're taking a class in school that's not a very easy one for you. And you've been trying to do your best, but it's just not working out very well. You've flunked both of the tests so far. There is a final exam coming up, and you've got to get at least a B- on it in order to pass. And if you don't pass this class, you're not going to graduate on time. So you study, you prepare, you try to be as ready as possible. Finally, the day for the test arrives and you're super nervous about it. Three hours before the test, a friend of yours comes up to you with a copy of the test with all of the answers on it. What are you going to do? You're in a bind. Or maybe you have a job. It's a good job. You like your job. You get paid well. You couldn't see yourself doing anything else, really. And you like your boss most days. However, on this day, your boss is asking you to do something. That at best, you feel like it's unethical. At worst, it's illegal. But if you don't do it, your boss is going to be really upset. You might lose your job. What are you going to do? Today, we're going to look at a king who finds himself in a bind. His name is Hezekiah, and we see his story in the book of 2 Kings Chapter 18. He is a good king. He is a godly king. Perhaps the best king the country of Judah would ever know. And yet he finds himself being bullied by an enemy king that is exacting money. We might think of them as exorbitant taxes. From them just because he's more powerful than they are and because he's ruthless and because he can. Hezekiah is facing a bully. How many here have ever encountered a bully? Okay, it happens. I remember when I was in junior high school. 
For those of you who are younger, that's middle school these days. And when I was in junior high school, we had a bully. His name was, get this, Melvin. I know that doesn't sound like the name of a bully, but he was a bully. In fact, uh, he was a little bit mean and intimidating. He started shaving when he was in kindergarten. (laughs) He was five foot six inches tall in the second grade. I'm exaggerating a little, okay. But he grew up faster than the rest of us, and he would like to kind of intimidate us. But sometimes we would push back. We were both in band class together. And one day I got up right behind Melvin with my trumpet. He sat in front of me, played the baritone sax. I got in behind him with my trumpet right behind his ear. And I blew my trumpet in his ear for all I was worth. Melvin didn't appreciate it. His immediate response was to turn around with his elbow, which hit the bell of my trumpet, knocked the mouthpiece of my trumpet back into my tooth, and he chipped my tooth. You can still see it today if you look closely It's really my fault. But Melvin tended to be a bully. Here in the book of 2 Kings, Hezekiah, the king of Judah, is facing a bully. Now, he's not your typical middle school bully, stealing people's lunch money or calling them names. No, this bully is a bully who could threaten your life and could take your life if he so chose. And he is taking all of this money from the people of Judah just because he can. But King Hezekiah has decided, I'm going to stand up to that bully. He is not getting any more money from us. However, when he did that, The king of Assyria, this bully king, he sends his army to Jerusalem and he surrounds the city. And it looks like if something doesn't happen, they're either all going to be captured or they're going to be killed. How many of you have ever tried to do the right thing but you got the wrong result? Hezekiah didn't create this mess. God's people have been rebelling against God for years, and so they're reaping what they have sown. Hezekiah is trying to reverse the mess by getting rid of idol worship among his own people and standing up to Assyria, the ruthless, godless nation that's acting like a bully. But instead of solving the problem, the problem gets bigger. Has that ever happened to you? You thought what you were going to do would hopefully make things better, but it didn't get better at all. In fact, it got worse. And it's one thing to be in a bind when you're only responsible for yourself. But Hezekiah the king is responsible for tens of thousands of other people. 
Hezekiah is in a bind. His decision making is either going to help others or it's going to hurt others. Not just a little bit, but tremendously. We're talking life and death here. Hezekiah is still hoping I can help, but the jury is still out. I think Hezekiah's got some people who believe in him. And he probably has some people who don't. And that's the way it usually is in leadership. Whether you're a football coach or a high school principal or even a pastor. There are always some people that no matter who the leader is, they're on board. And then there are usually a few people that no matter who the leader is and what they did, they're just like, I don't know about that. And then there are others who are kind of in the middle. It's like, if I, I think this is a good decision. I, I think I can support it. But if not, I, I'm, I, I don't think so. I'm done. And the king of Assyria is playing on that, I believe, here in the book of 2 Kings. He sends his army with his representative to shout out intimidating threats that if they don't surrender, they're going to be dead. And uh, the people of Judah, they can hear what he's saying. And in fact... The, the leaders of Judah are like, hey, can you speak in another language? We understand that. Let's not speak in the language of the people. And the, the people who are threatening Hezekiah and people of Judah are like, no, we're speaking in the language of the people in Hebrew because we want them to know if you don't surrender, you're going to die. So they're trying to intimidate the people. And the people... They're still hanging in there. They're still going to follow, it looks like, Hezekiah, this good and godly king. However, if this situation goes south on Hezekiah, a lot of people could literally be eating their own dung, starve to death, or die. Those are the options the enemy has put on the table, and it's not looking good for the home team. You see, King Hezekiah's city, the capital city, the city of Jerusalem, is surrounded by the powerful Assyrian army, perhaps the most powerful army in the entire world at that time. And they're telling Hezekiah he needs to surrender. And believe me, the Assyrian army is intimidating. I'm not talking calling names and making idle threats. This is not your typical middle school bully, as bad as that might be. I'm not making light of that. But this is much worse than someone making fun of you or stealing your lunch money. The Assyrians have a massive army engaging in physical and psychological terror. They were ruthlessly intimidating. They did things like impale corpses on stakes severing heads and stacking them in a pile and skinning captives alive and they gladly do show and tell. If you're King Hezekiah, not only does your life hang in the balance, so do the lives of tens of thousands of people under your charge. The Assyrian army has already captured northern Israel and taking them as prisoners of war. And you're next. 
And so far, it's not looking good for Hezekiah and his people. They've already captured all the fortified cities in your country, and now they're coming for you. They're coming for your city. They're coming for Jerusalem, the capital city, where the palace is, where you live. If you're Hezekiah, they're coming for you. So what does this amazing king, one of the best kings Israel or Judah had ever known, what does Hezekiah do? Now, I need you to help me for just a moment with attention. Can you give me a drum roll? Come on, give me a drum roll. What does Hezekiah do? He caves in. He gives in. He does not follow through in faith. Go to verse 14. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong, he says to the bully king. Withdraw from me, and I will pay whatever you demand from me. So the king of Assyria demanded that King Hezekiah of Judah pay 22,500 pounds of silver and 2,250 pounds of gold. That was bad, but it gets worse. Notice where Hezekiah got the silver and the gold. Go to verses 15 and 16. So Hezekiah gave him, gave this enemy bully king of Assyria, all the silver that was found where? In the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold with which he'd covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. How could Hezekiah do this? He didn't just give the stuff from the palace. Hezekiah gave the enemy all the silver found in the temple and the gold that covered the temple doorposts and doors. How could Hezekiah do this? I can tell you how. He's human. How many humans do I have in the room today? Yeah. And he is under pressure. Some of the best people can make some of the worst decisions when we're under pressure. Think about Simon Peter in the New Testament. Remember the very night before Jesus was crucified at the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples, all of you are going to fall away from me. And Simon Peter says, not me, Lord. I don't care if everybody else falls away from you. I will not fall away from you. Jesus looked at Peter and he told him, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And sure enough, he did. Some of you are under pressure this morning. 
You're tempted to get your eyes off of God and onto the circumstances. My warning to you this morning is this. Be careful. Bad decisions, faithless decisions can be made by the best of people. 2 Kings 18.5 tells us that there was no one like Hezekiah among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Sometimes bad decisions can be made under pressure. And sometimes the most ungodly acts can be made by the most dedicated followers of God even when they're not under pressure. If you don't believe that, remember Israel's greatest king, King David? One night, he was walking on the roof of the palace, and he looked down. He saw a beautiful young woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. And even though David had tons of wives already himself, he sees Bathsheba and he says, I want her. And he takes Bathsheba and sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. And then out of the pressure not to be found... David sends Bathsheba's husband Uriah the Hittite to the front line of the battle in order for him to be killed. David became careless and then he gave in to pressure. Hezekiah's decision to appease the king of Assyria didn't appease him at all. It only made him bolder. This Bully king sends his top commander with a large army to Jerusalem with a warning. Surrender or die. Thankfully, Hezekiah's story continues. Here's some good news. Even though Hezekiah caved under pressure, even though he wimped out, even though he gave in, God's not done with him yet. Some of you may have made some really bad decisions. You've blown it. You failed. You dishonored God. You wish you could get that back. Here's the good news. Our God is the God of the second chance. Aren't you glad? Think about the prodigal son. Think about how much God loves you to send Jesus Christ to this earth to die for you. Now, it's always better to obey to begin with, but when you blow it, when you fail, we confess our sin to God who's faithful and just forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We give our situation, our circumstances, our lives to God. Thankfully, Chapter 18 is not the end of the story. Hezekiah is about to make a really good decision. He's taking his problem to God. Go to chapter 19, verse 1. When Hezekiah heard the threats from the king of Assyria, he tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, and goes into the temple of the Lord. Now, I know we don't really do that in our world today, but that's how they showed repentance. I'm going to tear my clothes 
I'm going to put on sackcloth, which is super uncomfortable, and then I'm going to the temple of the Lord. What Hezekiah is saying here is this is beyond me. I can't do this. I'm sorry for what I've done. But now I'm going to be totally dependent on God. Go to verse 2. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Now go to verse 6. Isaiah, this is the Isaiah that we read about, okay, the one that you hear about, the famous prophet. He goes to him. They go to him, and Isaiah says to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid of what you've heard. The prophet Isaiah says, in essence, Hezekiah, don't worry. God's got this. Some of you are in a position today, and the circumstances of life are frightening you. It might be an issue at work. It might be a problem at school. It might be something in your neighborhood. It might be something in your family and you don't know what you're going to do and you're concerned that the consequences are not going to be good. To make a long story short, the king of Assyria gets distracted by a circumstance that God sets up. God has another king attacking this bully king of Assyria from another front. And according to Isaiah's prophecy and God's divine plan, the Assyrian king... The bully king, Sennacherib, he has to take care of business elsewhere first. But before he goes, this bully king sends a threatening letter to Hezekiah. It starts out like this. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given to the hands of the kings of Assyria. Now King Sennacherib's not just threatening Hezekiah. He is mocking Hezekiah's God. The only true and living God. Not a very smart idea on his part. I love what King Hezekiah does when he gets his threatening letter. Hezekiah took the letter. I'm reading from the Names of God translation here. So you can see these names. Hezekiah took the letter from the messengers, read them, and went to Yahweh's temple. Yahweh is a name for God being a personal God. Okay? It's the personal name of God. He spread them out in front of Yahweh and prayed to Yahweh. His God is not just some distant God that's far off. His God is a God who's concerned, a God who cares. He spreads them out before Yahweh, and he prayed to Yahweh. Yahweh Elohim. Elohim is the biblical name for a creator God. You are a personal God and you are the creator God. You're the God who's in charge of this universe. He prays to Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim of Israel, you are enthroned over the angels. You alone are Elohim, creator God of all the kingdoms of the world. You made heaven and earth. Turn your ear toward me, Yahweh. And listen, open your eyes, Yahweh, and see. Listen to the message that Sennacherib sent to defy Elohim Che. Elohim Che means living God. Our God is the living God. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, our God is the living God.
Okay? Now, this is significant because the other nations around them are worshiping idols made of wood, statues made out of stone. Go to verse 35 and watch what God does. I'm sorry, let's back up. Go to verse 17, excuse me. Hezekiah 10 is verse 17. It is true, Yahweh, personal name of God, that the kings of Assyria have leveled the nations. They have thrown the gods from these countries into the fires because these gods aren't real gods. They're not the living God. They're only wooden and stone statues made by human hands. So the Assyrians have destroyed them. Now, Yahweh, personal name of God, our Elohim, creator God, rescue us from the Assyrians' control so that all the kingdoms on earth will know that you alone are Yahweh, Elohim, a God who's personal, a God who cares, and yet the creator God of the universe. Isn't that amazing? The God who set the stars in space cares about you. The God who created the sun and the moon and all the planets and all the people and all the flowers and all the trees. The creator God is a personal God that wants to have a relationship with you that's changing your life moment by moment and day by day. Isn't that amazing? He is our God. However, Hezekiah has still got an enemy outside. They're threatening they have just been called away, but they sent a letter said, we're coming back. When we're coming back, you're going to be in trouble, boy. You're probably going to be captured or you're going to die. Go to verse 35. Watch what God does. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death, get this, 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Can you imagine this powerful, threatening army, the most powerful army in that part of the world, maybe the entire world, has just been leveled in one night by the angel of the Lord. Boom, just like that. Hezekiah and his little army, they didn't even have to raise a finger. It goes on, verse 36. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. One day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Sherezer killed him, this bully king with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Ezerhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. Listen, the wheels of justice may grind slowly. However, they grind surely. One of these days, God is going to right all the wrongs. God is going to heal all the hurts. God's going to set things right. Do you believe that? You may not. You probably will not see all that in this life, okay? The Bible says one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you believe that? One day, God will make things right. 
But what do you do in the meantime? How do you handle the circumstances that you face? Let me give you a very quick action plan. I want you to write down a scripture reference. Write it down in your bulletin. Better yet, you could also write it down in your Bible. Even better yet, in addition to that, how many of you have a cell phone? All right. How many of you use the calendar on your cell phone? All right. If you do, I would encourage you to go to tomorrow morning and type in tomorrow morning 1 Peter 5, 7. You see, when we're sitting here in worship, and all of us Christians are gathered together. It's easy to believe. But when you leave this place, and you go out there into the world, and you go to work, and you go to school, and you go out there with people who may not believe that our God is the true and living God, it's more difficult. But if you got 1 Peter 5, 7 written down somewhere, you can go to that. I typed it in my phone this morning. I would encourage you to type in another verse or write it down or both. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Another, another great passage of Scripture. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your care upon God because He cares for you. You're going to face a situation Tomorrow, the next day, or the next sometime, probably in not too distant future, where you're going to find yourself in a bind. And you're going to want to worry, you're going to want to fret, you're going to get, get upset. But I want you to remember 1 Peter 5 7. It says, Cast all your care upon God because He cares for you. Proverbs 3 5 and 6 is another. It says, trust in the Lord with all. Say the word all with me. All of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him. And He shall direct your paths. So when you face that circumstance that doesn't make sense, and you face those people who can be impossible, and life is totally unfair, you go to God. Say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you. I'm following you. I got my eyes on you. Remember Simon Peter? One day, Jesus came walking to the disciples literally on the water. Simon Peter sees Jesus and he says, Lord, if that's really you, bid me come to you. Jesus says, Come on, Peter. And Peter literally walks on the water for just a moment. Can you imagine? I don't know anybody else who's ever done that besides Peter and Jesus. He's walking on water for just a moment, but then he gets his eyes off of Jesus and onto the circumstances around him. He sees the wind and the waves and he sinks. Because he put his eyes on the circumstances 
And he got his eyes off of God. Let me encourage you. Get your eyes back on God. That doesn't mean circumstances will always be easy. It doesn't mean you'll never have a problem. It doesn't mean that you'll never fail. Hezekiah did. But then he came back to God. And God set him on a path. God's calling you today. Follow him. Through the ups and the downs, through the hills and the valleys, when the circumstances make sense and when they absolutely do not. To trust Him.